The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Angels, we all have them. They're our unseen guides, our companions, our teachers, and they're all around us. Sometimes, they make themselves known in the most miraculous ways. Join Angel Communicator, Reiki Master, and QHHT Hypnotherapist, Christy Clemens Hoffman, for stories from real people who have experienced real-life angel encounters. Welcome back to the Real Life Angel Encounters podcast. Today, I am joined by Michael J. Lichens, the editor of the Catholic Exchange. And when he's not revising and editing, he's often found studying and writing about G.K. Chesterton, religion and literature, or random points of local history right up my alley. He holds an A.M. from the University of Chicago Divinity School and a B.A. from the Thomas More College of Liberal Arts. And wait, there's more. Also, the U.S. representative and publicist for the book Encounters with Angels, the Invisible and Companions of Our Spiritual Life. Hi. Hello, Michael. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on today. I'm so happy this worked out. I heard you on George Norrie and I said, oh my gosh, I've got to talk to this guy. It's like, I love angels and talking about them. So this is going to be a lot of fun. So in your work, uh, well, actually, what do you like best about the work that you do? Uh, I think uh, George Norrie's uh, interview was actually a really nice picture of what I love doing. Uh, Just having an audience that is maybe never heard our approach and the Catholic approach, like even people I know who are lifelong Catholics, such as my mom, will be like, oh, I knew nothing about angels from our faith. So I love sharing that stuff like this is it's an ancient bit of teaching, but it for a lot of people, they relate to it, even if they don't necessarily share my spiritual background. They really love to learn about it. And I love sharing it. That's fantastic. You've got a great job, I have to say. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I do. I know. (laughs) That's fantastic. So this, this, um, this book encounters with angels, um, by Odile Amonte, which I hope I said that correctly. Perfect. Uh, Talks about some of the, the, um, well, the real life angel encounters from biblical teachings and biblical writings. Yeah. So what do you think are the highlights of this book? 
Oh, it, uh, I think a lot of the highlights actually. Uh, this book is sort of a what I like to call a very short introduction to the history of a- angelic encounters. And it goes all the way through the 20th century, examining various Catholic saints and mystics mm-hmm. who would encounter their angels. Uh, so one of my favorite is a more recent story of Padre Pio, who uh, the best summation I can give him for anyone who might not know his name is you can think of a medieval mystic who suddenly found himself living in the mid 20th century. Uh, but he would have angelic encounters to a point where people could communicate to him from distances through their guardian angels, because the guardian angels in Catholic theology are able to, to communicate through those methods. They're beyond time and space. So he would at, tell his people who were coming to him for confession or guidance that anytime they needed him, just tell their angels and he, this was a thing he would reveal many times that people, he would have knowledge of people's activities, of their journeys. And when he would be asked this, he would simply say, my angel told me. And that I think is, because that opens up so many questions and so many mysteries and answer, there's not a lot of answers to some of these questions, but I think it's just so fascinating. And the fact that this was a man who, you know, lived not even 50 years ago, right. was still around here. His whole story was just amazing. His uh, stigmata. Mm -hmm. uh, He always had this overwhelming smell of flowers around him. Um, Just by location and (laughs) amazing. Um, You know, just like a real person who had all of these spiritual gifts. It's just incredible. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, so you talk about his, he taught, he would talk to people's guardian angels. So, this is a huge deal, a guardian angel. Yes. Last week's episode, we had um, a woman call in who had actual a physical visitation from oh. a trio of her guardian angels. She felt like she had three that worked as one, hmm. and they physically appeared to her in the kitchen. So, you know, guardian angels are kind of a big deal. So what, what is your stance on these beings? Oh. Um. Uh, I love stories. That was one of my favorite things about doing the talking about this book on various shows is people would share with me their encounters. And sometimes they were as simple as, uh, you know, I was eight years old and something pulled me out of traffic and I didn't see who it was. There was no one around me and things like that. But then there'll be encounters where you'll be talking about where it's, you know, person talking to them disappears. And it's like, what was that? I love it because for me, at least with in our really cynical world, it's a nice reminder that we're not alone. We're not just we weren't just created, put here and left to our own devices to do whatever we want and see what happens. There's some guidance. There's some order to this chaotic, strange world. And that, I think, is the big comfort for a lot of people. And for me, it also means we have someone we can rely on and at least call upon to give us help. Uh, I remember my grandma always used to joke that angels watch over the holy, but they also watch over the fools and drunkards too. And that's something I always try to remember. And you can see it through a lot of these encounters. (laughs) Such a wise woman, your grandmother. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, what you said earlier about, I think it was your mom was a cradle Catholic and, you know, just had, had talked about angels that I think we, 
kind of mention them in passing. It's like, oh, yes, God and the angels and the angel heart. Yeah. We kind of mention them in passing, but they're actually real. They are. And they have had a massive influence throughout the course of uh, religious history. Oh. I mean, we talk about through the biblical creation, we start to get an idea of them. My favorite is how they always show up in their forms and will be so terrifying. They have to introduce themselves with be not afraid. And uh, that's always a great introduction, by the way. Hey, Jay, don't be scared. What? <laughs> uh, okay, yeah. Yeah. And I enjoy hearing the, these encounters as well. But uh, the only time we think of angels is because they're decorating our nativity set at Christmas or we put them on the tree. But we don't realize that, like, especially even in a more mainstream religion like Catholicism, we have a great deal of prayers to guardian angels. We have asked for intercessions in everyday life. Various saints, uh, Gregory the Great, most famously, uh, if you go to Rome, you'll see that while you're walking to the Vatican, you'll see the statue of the Archangel Michael putting away his sword above one of the great uh, fortresses surrounding the Vatican. That's in relation to his vision, where he Rome was beset with a plague, and he saw the Archangel Michael basically sheathing the sword away after days of fasting and prayer, as if to say, the plague's gone now, we're done. Mm. And... You know, these are the encounters that we and we put them in. We memorialize them. We put their statues up, but we don't think about them day in and day out, which is an interesting phenomenon for me. I think so, too. I mean, like now I I am an angel communicator. I have been right. I've been talking with people's angels for years now um, and I forget to ask them. You know, I forget to talk to them. Sure. I talk to them professionally and then I forget that. Oh, yeah. I could ask for help with this. <laughs> <laughs> no, and likewise, I promote, you know, this isn't the first book on angels I've had the chance to talk about with people. And, you know, I've read all the great sermons from various Catholic theologians about angels. And yet even I'll be like driving and we'll be like halfway through my journey that I go, you know, I could ask the guardian angel for a little assistance. <laughs> You know, we forget these things, but they're, I mean, they're around us and we do have to ask. Yes. No, uh, one of the points in Catholic theology that Odile brings up really well in this book is, while angels are powerful, like I said, they're beyond time and space and beyond flesh. They're not necessarily the highest God. They're not Yahweh. They can't, can't read our minds. They can't, you know, get inside our heads as easily. So we actually do have to, they can guess like, you know, demons and angels have been around long enough. They can build up their intuition, but we have to ask, we have to give that word to them and what we want and what we need. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We have free will yes. and we have to be allowed to mess up because that's how we learn. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I could go on and save you here, but uh, let's have, let's see what you learn out of this. <laughs> <laughs> in my case that's the only way i learned sometimes so yeah <laughs> just like a loving parent it's like oh, i could scoop in and save you but let's see how you figure this out i think you should touch the hot stove <laughs> <laughs> i could tell you all day long until you touch it you're not gonna know <laughs> so guardian angels do we all have them yes uh, the Catholic Church believes that everyone from birth has been endowed with a guardian angel and that they're with us not only till we till the moment of our death 
if all goes well, if we live the lives that are, you know, bring us friendship with God, they'll help their last job will be guiding us to heaven. If not, there are many mystics who have found that guardian angels will often bring people bring to them like these are souls in purgatory, please pray for them. So at least based off this mysticism, we know that they're even their job didn't just end at death, which is something beyond joy for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I want somebody with me the whole time. <laughs> and then what about before we're even born? Can they start working with us then? Uh, it's believed that when the soul enter, that basically when God creates us, so even in the moment of the womb, that there's been a guardian angel. That's why you have that wonderful old folk tale that angels put a finger upon our lips, and that's where that indent came from. Mm. <laughs> I, yeah, it's an old folk tale that angels did that to basically shush us about our creation and our gestation. Uh, which another one of those like little signs, like how much angels to our ancestors matter that they even created these great folk customs and tales about it. Right. Right. And then, so what do they have? Um, gosh, I'm, I've got so many questions. Like pick one. Sure. <laughs> um, so are they assigned to us? Do we choose them? How does that, how does that work? They are given to us and they act as uh I think it was John Paul II who called them personal patron saints. Yeah. So they're actually encouraging Catholicism to not just watch over us and make sure our souls remain, but we can call upon them for our particular needs and ask them basically the same way you would tell a family member or a friend, hey, this is my concern. Can you please listen and pray for me? These are This can also be the work of guardian angels. Uh, they can also, like I said, Padre Pio used them to learn about other people and to communicate various popes from Gregory the Great to Pius XII would often use them for diplomatic means to try to right. talk to them and try to get the, help them with helping other people. Uh, several popes, I want to say it was Pius X actually, would call upon guardian angels whenever he had a meeting with someone, he would ask their guardian angel to pray for both of them so that he could be sure he was doing the right thing by all, both sides. And uh, But also cities... We know from both the Bible and through Catholic tradition that cities and places are often given a guardian angel. Uh, we know, like, for example, at Fatima, there, one of the ways the angel identified himself was as the angel of Portugal. Uh, we hear in like several biblical tales that angels were assigned over cities, especially powerful or great ones. So even a place can you could be in a city. I like to think that here in Denver, for example, I, of course, have my guardian angel my wife has hers but i also like to think that denver itself has a guardian angel so there's three layers of protection going on absolutely right and then you know in the hierarchy of angels there's the principalities which mm -hmm. are high up and those are the ones who who look over regions cities countries thank god and i mean literally thank god that we have this because what a mess we could be in if we didn't <laughs> <laughs> no, it's one of those things, especially with sometimes re I love history and yeah. it's an enjoy, but sometimes when I'm reading, especially the history of the 20th century, I wonder how on earth humanity survived to the end. And right. it, I don't have a great answer for it because it basically chucks down to grace because right. I don't know how the human race didn't destroy itself in after World War II, but times, yeah, absolutely. 
so many different ways that we could have really, I mean, just earthquakes, volcanoes, even not just human mm -hmm. uh, foibles, but, you know, the, even, yeah, natural type of disasters, we are protected always. Um, which, you know, and this brings me to a question of the hierarchy of angels. Yeah. You know, we think of guardian angels as being, you know, very holy, very, which they are, but they're not even at the top. No, we have a, so through Dionysus and then Thomas Aquinas, the Catholic Church has developed a system of having nine choirs of angels. Yeah. And within those nine, they're divided into three groups with, uh, you know, there's the, the highest, the first degree. Those are the angels such as like the seraphim, who are, you know, they're the ones that are fiery and many winged. And then you get into the cherubim, which, you know, are usually depicted as little babies with wings, but their job is literally to pray and to bless people. And then you, uh, into the second degree, that's when you get into the dominions, the virtues and the powers, mm. uh, dominions act as generals. Virtues are basically there to carry out the will of God. And then of course the powers are the ones who do battle with the, with demons themselves. And then on to the lower degree, we've talked about principalities. Those are the ones that govern and protect a country or let over a, large lands. Joan of Arc encountered one such angel when she, in her visions, it was a principality who was placed over France. Right. And then that's when we get the archangels who are kind of lower down on the totem pole and, but they're one higher than the lowest. But again, this isn't so much of a rank as, you know, which one's the better angel most more. So what were they created for? What is their purpose in their creation? Absolutely. What, what can they, what's their job? Right? Yeah. <laughs> what do they do? And yeah, and it's, yeah, you're right. It's not a, a, one is better than another. One is higher than another. It's just like, you know, yeah. What is the, what do they do? Right. Yeah. I've, uh, a group, I've got a group of, of um, angels. They tell me that there are thrones and uh, there's three of them that speak as one voice. And um, you know, when, when an angel tells you what they're there for and what they do, you just don't question them. Excellent. Yeah, no, it's, and especially I think when you get the, some of the stories I think of the missions and the things people are sent on, they come off as so bizarre and mysterious that you, it really makes spirituality something exciting and adventurous again for me. Especially yeah. when you read about some of these angels will so go out of their way to really protect and watch over people. Uh, I love the small encounters of people whose lives been saved by what seem like invisible presences and they have to only chalk it up to their guardian angel. Those are amazing stories and they really prove that we all have this angelic help around us at all mm -hmm. times. Yeah. Do you have any, any stories that stick out to you? Things that you've heard? Yeah. Um, so Odio in her book at the very beginning, she talks about her, why she had a fascination with angels from a, as a young child. And it was a story of her mother being saved from being slammed by a bus that was going down the wrong street. And it was a, that kind of encounter you hear so often, but it's like, I think there's a reason we hear this story so often where they about to step into the street right before they do a hand grabs their shoulder and pulls them back. They see the bus go by and go, Oh my gosh, what? Thank you. So, where are you? Where'd you go? And there's no one around. There's no sense of, 
presence or time. I know within our within my own life, several of my friends have told me of stories, namely when they're driving, and they'll just like suddenly feel something like grab their leg or something to just like say, hey, you need to stop right now. And sure enough, you know, Bridge was out when they came forward. Uh, the And I think what those uh, stories demonstrate more than anything is that it's a simple act. It's very quick. But what stands out to me in all of them is they don't even wait to hear thank you. They're not even waiting around to, you know, get the acknowledgement, you know, the special merit badge. Here's a ribbon for saving my life, you know, or anything like that. They're, it's uh, almost the, exactly what we want good people in the world to do. And they're setting up that example to be there, be present and to uh, give them, give them the help and guidance, but you don't have to thank me. I'm just doing my job. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, one of the earlier episodes, this was a hypnosis session that I do because I do this past life regression. Sure. Hypnosis. And this was a session that I had done with a client and she actually had a lifetime where she was a guardian angel. Oh. And it was fascinating to hear from the inside out what that job is like. And so I asked her what the best parts of the job were. She says, it's just a job. <laughs> I'm just doing my job. That's what I'm supposed to do, you know? And, uh, yeah, when we, you know, we think that, oh my gosh, it's this big, huge personal thing, but literally that's what they're there for. No. And that's what they were created for. Right. Uh, the very name angel just means messenger. Their job is to communicate from the highest throne of God to us. Uh, but their job, what's great within that job is that that means one, we're not just alone. We're not just it, the divide between us and God isn't actually that far of a gap as it turns out. And that God not, God created this world, you know, with all its various beauties and everything like that, but also an invisible world that also works and is also incredible and beautiful. And yeah, I'm sorry. I, but yeah, getting into that, that's exactly such a joy to hear. Right, right. And the, the physical world is just what we can see. There's so much mm -hmm. more that we can't see. And it really is mystical. I mean, our whole, the Catholic faith, oh my gosh, is so mystical. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, all these miracles abound and happen. All these things go on that, that we can't perceive or we can't see, but they're just as real as anything we can. Mm -hmm. And they can also bring in the message, uh, more needed messages. I think of Fatima, where the angel was kind of, just to give a TLDR for everyone, Fatima is one of those great Marian apparitions that was more than a Marian apparition that was photographed and filmed and witnessed by thousands of people. But one of the before Mary came, before the miracle of the sun turning like a disc, there was an angel basically to introduce the children to the idea of the supernatural and to comfort them. And then the weird stuff happens as if the angel wasn't strange enough. <laughs> yeah, what else happened in the miracle of Fatima? Well, uh, I mentioned the miracle of the sun, and this was a miracle witnessed by something like 2,000 people, but then into when you get into people who witnessed it from a distance, where uh, Mary had promised to the daughters that she would create a sign, and sorry, to the shepherd girls and to the one boy, and these three children had been experiencing angels, the Virgin Mary. They've seen St. Joseph, St. Michael. They've been having just incredible visions that at first, as you would when a 10-year-old tells you they're seeing St. Michael, you might say, okay, we need to 
turn off the radio for a minute or so. But she promised a sign, and this sign was one everyone gathered to see, and no one had any idea what it is. And suddenly the sun literally started flickering as if it was a disc uh, hung up on a little child's mobile. And some the Lord took his finger and just kind of spun it in a way that people could see it flickering and spinning. And the seasons didn't change. Nothing weird happened. This wasn't a solar flare where they experienced you know, EMTs or anything like that. But they saw the sun do what it's not supposed to do. And so that was a sign for a lot of people, even to this day, like you often, if you just Google miracle of the sun, you'll find thousands of articles quoting firsthand testimony, including a, a left-wing atheist who had witnessed it and was very blown away by what he saw, because again, that's not supposed to happen, but it's a great sign to, yes, this isn't normal. <laughs> Well, and thousands witnessed it. Mm -hmm. No denying that. Yeah, no, thousands witnessed it. It's uh, similar to another Marian apparition in the 20th century that happened down in Egypt. That wasn't preceded by angels at first, but it was even filmed to a point in the Egyptian government shut off electricity to the neighborhood. It was in the Zeton neighborhood where Mary and Joseph were said to have rested on their right. rest and live when they fled uh, Judea. And it, there was even with all the electricity cut off, Mary was still appearing on the dome of this church, and you know, thousands of people witnessed it. And there's no accounting for it. Oh, you know, so many people around the world pray to have a sign and pray to see Mary, Jesus, and then when it actually appears, like ah, oh, you just made that up. <laughs> Yeah, or, oh, come on, it's a hologram, even though holograms haven't been invented yet. <laughs> yeah, or, you know, they're terrified of it. It's like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, I just, right before you, I was interviewing um, Mariel Ford Clark for my other podcast, and she was talking about an apparition of Mary that scared her so badly. She ran out of her the grotto, like, screaming. She left her school bag. She left everything in the grotto and ran. It's like... You've been praying for this. And then when she shows up, you're terrified. Yeah. And I often wonder, because there are accounts, like I've said at the beginning, uh, one of the common phrases of angels in the Bible is be not afraid. <laughs> uh, and I have to wonder, like, even like with uh, Mary, where Gabe, the archangel Gabriel's not appearing in a frightening vision or anything, there is a sense of fear. And I often wonder what that is, even for, especially for those of us who want those signs and pray for them. And I sometimes think it's because once you're confronted by the supernatural, there's no going back. There's no, the world's changed. Your life has changed. The world has to take on a do, new thing. And that amount of change can be terrifying. Like it's the same reason why, you know, when it's time to break, it's similar to when it's time to break up with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, you're almost terrified to go through with it because now it's done. You can't go back. Which is, which is unreal. Cause this is something that you'd been praying for, praying for, praying for. And then it's like, how do you even prepare yourself? I want this so badly, but if it ever happened, I think I'd lose my ever loving mind. Mm -hmm. How do you prepare for that? Um, have you spoken with anybody who's had a, an apparition like that? In fact, yes, I have. I can't say his name, unfortunately, but he's an exorcist who works in the United States. Uh, he is 
I met him through a friend of mine who was a psychiatrist who was kind enough to introduce us and allow me to have a discussion. But his, when he was first learning about all it means to be an exorcist in the Catholic church, he was a very young man still. And while he believed very strongly in everything, he thought it was, there was still that part of his mind of like, is this just an old medieval ritual we're keeping for no reason? Like, what are we doing here? And he had been told by his, uh, by the senior priest to, you know, call upon the angels, call Mary, but St. Michael is one of the most important angels you can work with. And he believes to this day that he had encountered a person's guardian angel before they started the exorcism, as if just to say, I am here, I am helping person disappeared, didn't see the, him again. And Exorcists realized like in that moment of that fear of like, oh, angels are real. Oh my gosh, the angels are praying for us. That's great. But that means that's also, oh, the demons are also real. That means there are fallen angels. That means, and for him, uh, that's kind of where I get some of my theory, because for him, it was, even though he believed in it, his life changed. He couldn't just dismiss it anymore. He couldn't just be an observer. Now he was in it. And this was his life now. It was no longer a theory. And there it is. I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm in the lab part of the class instead of the (laughs) the class. I actually have to build it. (laughs) (laughs) That is amazing. Yeah, that would that would just kind of shift your whole paradigm, your whole worldview. Mm -hmm. Um, And no, you brought something up that I wanted to talk to you about, which is the concept of fallen angels. Yes. Yeah. What what's that about? Well, uh. In the book of Revelation, we're told that the angels rebelled, namely out of jealousy for human beings, because we were created with free will. We're also given flesh, we're material and spiritual. And for angels, this was a, for some of the angels, this was a bit of jealousy. Their leader, Lucifer, was said to be the most beautiful. Uh, He's thought to have been one of the thrones or dominions. And he even his name it you know it gives this idea of light and beauty and things like that but he and one third of the angels rebelled against god and because angelic will is slightly different from ours this was not a thing they could go back on they have too much knowledge they have too much they're not doing things in time so by rebelling against god and trying to overthrow dethrone god they were cast down into shadow in you know, a way that only the, I wish I could remember the book of Revelation word for word, but they were cast down, namely through the leadership of St. Michael, which is why he's one of the Prince of Angels we pray to. And, but it was said that they were not destroyed. They weren't eked out of existence. They were still allowed to roam and to stalk. And now we believe that they basically exist same as they did when they rebelled jealousy of hu- and disgust of humanity that all they want to do is undo God's graces given to us and to take us back from what we should be going towards, you know, which is friendship with God union with each other and hopefully for eternity. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they can, they act, they function just like angels. They have all the same attributes. Uh, sometimes there have been inca- uh, accounts of, forgetting her name. There was a, a fake mystic of sorts in the 17th century in Spain who uh, would often encounter when she first encountered these uh, 
demonic creatures. They actually were looking like angels to her. And instead of doing what saints often recommend when an angel visits, which is what do you want? What is it you need? She wanted to get power and influence from this one. And he was glad to give it to her. And so you, they still walk this, they're deceivers, they're deceptive, but they function like angels just kind of on the opposite end now. Oh, that's fascinating. Um, so in, in other words, had this not happened, we may be um, celebrating Lucifer like we do St. Michael. Exactly. Had he not rebelled, uh, like all accounts, like I said, even his name, like, you know, one of his many attributes is morning star, like we probably and there's some uh, like even uh, when we get into Paradise Lost, Milton's poem, he still portrays Michael as this beautiful, masculine, like to a point where romantics started drawing him all the time. Like, oh, wow, this Lucifer guy sounds hot. Let's draw him. And but, you know, he's still thought to be this beautiful angel, which is also, I think, a great lesson for life is that evil's not always obvious. And we should keep that in mind always. Yeah, personally, I kind of question a, a concept of evil. I just sure you're more toward God or more away from God. I don't know. I yeah, I don't know. That's kind of a personal thing, I think, to me. But um, I, you mentioned something about angels having a different free will. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? How does that work? So this gets into a lot of scholastic philosophy, which I I have not had enough coffee, but uh, the, you but to sum it up real quick, uh, because angels, all of our decisions, all of our not everything we do has to come from our knowledge of the past and it has to happen in time. Uh, we, you know, if we're not given because of various reasons through sin, ignorance, thing like that, we don't always have the fullness of faculties and make the best decisions. And that's why we can get be given a lot of grace. That's why we can hopefully with even with each other in interpersonal relationships, we can use that phrase, hey, you're only human and things like that. But with angels, they can't use that excuse because when they were created, they were created for one singular purpose, unlike us who we were created. God created us out of love, but he gave us enough love that he gave us free will to love him back because that's the only way love can be reciprocated is through freedom. Angels can, angels can uh, reciprocate that feeling, those feelings, but when they make a decision, when they make an act, they're doing that with pure will and pure knowledge because that's what they are made out of. And also the fact that they are outside of time and space, as I keep mentioning, so they are not, necessarily able to use ignorance or anything like that as the fallback so in the cases of demons when they had made that decision to rebel and fight it was a decision that they couldn't take back that they couldn't go back on yeah you can't put that toothpaste back in the tube (laughs) (laughs) can't put that genie back in the bottle no (laughs) yeah that's kind of like once it's done it's done Um, Another question I had for you is that, yeah, we all have a guardian angel who helps us with so many different things, who's, you know, assigned to us because they have to work with us. But what other angels work with us and how can we invoke them, work with them, get the most out of that relationship? Uh, The best way you can do that is remember them. Mm -hmm. Uh, that if you had an experience that you really truly feel is part within was the work of your guardian angel or within an angel in your area, thank them, you know, give them the gratitude, 
I think gratitude is one of the most underappreciated things we can cultivate as people. Because uh, if you start to think about what your guardian angel does or the things you don't see them do is another thing. Padre Pio would often say, thank your guardian angel for what you didn't see them do. And that's so something I found like in my own personal life, if I do that, I'm actually thankful for little things like suddenly even being able to have milk for my coffee becomes a bit of like, I'm very glad I'm in a position in a life where I can get milk for coffee because my grandparents didn't have that luxury and things like that. Suddenly, you know, when you're thankful and have a little bit of gratitude, especially for a guy like me, who's a little cynical and depressed all the time, it's a very powerful tool for changing through things. And uh, the saints often recommend just talk, like talk to your, if you're have a problem that is really weighing on you, speak to your guardian angel and just say, these are the things I'm going through, whatever you're doing. Thank you. And please watch over while I make these decisions. And I, any of us who know sometimes even just the act of giving voice to what's going on in our internal struggles can help kind of straighten out some of those knots. But I truly believe that your guardian angel does want to hear from you. And like I said, they can't read your mind. So by doing that, you're bringing them more into and more involved into your daily, even the mundane tasks. Yeah, that is so succinct to me. Um, Now, what about what about other angels? Are there other angels? Yeah. Yeah. So archangels are the most common that we interact with. Like in the Bible, most famously, Mary was visited by Gabriel. Uh, it was one of the seven archangels that we know of and, you know, was given the message told exactly how Christ, the birth of Christ would play out. We just celebrated that at Christmas. <laughs> uh, but if you go earlier in the Bible, back through the Old Testament, one of my favorite stories, the one we had read at our, part of which was read at our wedding, was the story of Raphael and Tobit, where uh, that's interesting because Raphael is literally appearing throughout the majority of the story as just a person. No one just can pick up that he's not just an angel, but an archangel. And one of the seven, at one point, he identifies himself as one of the seven archangels who sits at the throne of God. He, uh, he only reveals himself later in the story when he is helping to put everything together to help Tobit through his tragedies, and then to help Tobit's son Tobias to find his wife and to get married. And it becomes a strange biblical love story with angelic interaction. But like I said, what I love about that is we didn't know he was there. And this happens a couple of times in the Old Testament and to saints themselves. That's why we have that phrase from St. Paul to always entertain strangers, because sometimes we entertain angels unaware. And it's of, that's also why we in early Christianity, uh, kindness and hospitality were big deals for them to a point where Ignatius of Antioch, I believe, like even offered his, the people coming to arrest him dinner. Hey, while you're here, before we leave, let's have dinner because hospitality was such a big deal because there might be angels and we never know. So we should treat them as such. Well, absolutely. Um, We've seen lots of stories of people who have encountered people who yeah, they were there solid in life. And uh, then we turn around and they're gone, but you've had an interaction with them. It's <laughs> undeniable. Oh, one of my favorite stories from the saints. Uh, there's a saint called St. Isidore the farmer. Uh, 
he's the patron saint of farming, but my favorite thing about him is that he was actually pretty terrible at farming. So much, uh, and big reason why is he was one of those people that really wanted to give to everybody. He wanted to make sure all the homeless people, <clears throat> excuse me, all the homeless and destitute around him were fed and given shelter. He would volunteer within his own parish community, but people would walk by his farm and they would see two young men t- plowing the field or working. And they're like, uh, Isidore can't afford labor. Where is he getting these guys? And so they asked him and he said, well, I was neglecting my farming duties through charity and prayer that God sent, allowed my guardian angels to help work on the farm with me. But to everyone else, they were just two young men working on the field. And uh, Like I said, he was terrible at farming, but through that he became the patron saint of farming because even the angels were like, okay, we'll help. Oh, I love that. You know, one one of my personal angel encounters that I absolutely loved, I was going through kind of a difficult time and I was in my car and I stopped at this intersection where there's always someone panhandling. And it was very obvious that I had been just sobbing my eyes out, ugly crying. And there was this man on on the corner and he just took one look at me and he tapped his chest and looked up and pointed up to the sky. And I just knew that it was Archangel Michael saying, girl, look inside, you're fine. <laughs> you've got support, you've got love. And it just made it an instant so weird because I just looked at the sky and immediately I felt peace. And oh, it, is... it was a real flesh and, flesh and blood person. No, and St. Michael's one of those angels. Uh... There's an interesting phenomenon that you can track from Europe into the Middle East. It's called the Sword of St. Michael. And basically, uh, it's this line you can draw on the map going from Skellig Michael in Ireland, which is this rocky... If you saw the movie The Last Jedi, uh, that's where Luke Skywalker is living in those movies. He's living on Skellig Michael off of Ireland. (laughs) uh, They filmed on location there. But monks, it's, it's called... Skellig Michael, because monks in the early medieval ages basically built these bee hut, uh, rock bee huts for themselves to live in a monastic community on what was thought to be the edge of the known world. But from there, you can draw a line through Mont Saint-Michel and France into uh, southern France into a cave. I'm forgetting the name of the cave. It's just north of Naples, but it's where St. Michael appeared to promise the village that they would be spared from raiders and they were, and then all the way to the middle East where again, St. Michael kept showing up to promise people they would be protected from sometimes wildfires, sometimes the plague, but yeah, it, but it falls on this perfect line that no one noticed until I think the 19th century that, Oh wait, all these monasteries named after St. Michael are in this line. Oh. <laughs> So cool. <laughs> I mean, this whole world is mystic AF. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that phrase. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and we have to, all we have to do is just like open, open our eyes. And we see how that works. Exactly. No, I, like I said, I love that they called it the sword of St. Michael, like, because that's one of his defining attributes. And he was doing this line, it wasn't something people planned. No one was looking at a. No one in, uh, you know, fourth century Jerusalem was looking at a map and drawing a line or anything like that. It just happened. And it, well, if you believe like I do, that the supernatural is 
can be encountered. It's clear that it was planned and it was shown yet another sign of like, no guys, this is real. I think it was Einstein maybe who said you can look at the world in two ways. One is if everything is a miracle and one is if nothing is a miracle. Love that. Dude, everything's a freaking miracle. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. You wake up in the morning and you open your eyes. That's two miracles right there. Right <laughs> you know, every single day that we breathe is a miracle. That's amazing. Well, okay. So I, I'm just about out of time myself, but oh my uh, gosh. anything, I know we've been sitting here talking for like 45 minutes. So what, is there anything else that you think is really important to say about angels? <sighs> I've, I'd say, especially if this is your first time hearing about angels, if you just got into this lovely podcast to talk about angels, that's a wonderful first step. And like I said, the, one of the quickest routes to gratitude and incorporating angels is being aware and thanking them for the things you do see. And knowing that when you do thank them, there's someone to hear that gratitude and to hear, and you're going to also affect such great change in your life. So I hope everyone hears this is blessed and will feel the comfort of their own guardian angel. Love that. Thank you so much, Michael. I really appreciated our our talk. Thank you, Christy. Next up, we have Sally from my home state of Missouri. Now, I heard Sally's story first on Jim Harold's Campfire, the Virtual Campfire podcast, which is a great podcast. And um, I just had to contact her and get her story here. In fact, there are several stories from loved ones. Hi, Sally. Hi, how are you today? Doing pretty good. How are you? I'm I'm doing good. We'll see how well I get through this story. Um, I've had three family members that I held their hands basically as they passed. Yeah. Um, And so I'll I'll tell you a little bit about each one of them because something special happened each time. Um, and I think the one you heard is about my husband. Right. And the first one I'll tell is about my grandmother. And I've not told this story before. Um, this was in about 1985 or 86. And my grandmother was 91 years old and she was still getting around. Okay. But she'd been sick all week. And that morning, she just was so hot, and she didn't have a fever, but she just started slurring her words and just couldn't speak, and then pretty soon she couldn't get up and move around, and pretty soon she was unconscious, and this was all early morning, like before 9 o'clock, and my sister was there with me, and we were both in our 20s. And our parents were out of town. So this was kind of scary for them to not be there. Right. Um, but but pretty soon we knew that something was very, very wrong. She couldn't talk to us anymore. She didn't know us anymore. And looking back on it, I don't know why. We never thought to call 911. It just did not occur to us that this was something, we knew it was an emergency, mm-hmm. but we felt that she was passing and that was not something we wanted interference with. Yeah. 
And this was not a conscious decision. We did not talk about it. It just was, well, this is the way it is. We think she's going to pass right now and we're just going to sit here and hold her hands. And that's what we did. We each held one of her hands. We held each other's hands Mm. and we just sat with her. Mm -hmm. Um, We were close enough to the church that we could hear the bells ringing the hour. So I know it was eight o'clock or nine o'clock and I, I couldn't pray. All I could do was say, I, I, I think I said the Lord's prayer because that's the only thing that would come to mind. And we sat there for probably 45 minutes, just holding her hands. And near the end, she turned her head, she rolled her head over and looked at the the far wall and it was like she was seeing somebody or something and I didn't see anything but I could imagine my grandfather there yeah and just a whole crowd of people with her and then she breathed her last and that was it um our our brother got there right after and he called EMS and when they came in, I wanted to just shout out to them. No, no, leave her alone. But they didn't. They they were respectful of her. Mm-hmm. So um, so she did that's, not have a DNR. Correct. Well, and that she didn't have a DNR. I, it was not official, right. but we knew that that's what she wanted. There had been conversations. Good. So um, it was very peaceful. And I wasn't scared. I always thought I would be scared of death. Right. And I wasn't. So we had protection around us. I I firmly believe that somebody was not holding my other hand, but enveloping us in strength and grace. Yeah. So that's wonderful. And then when she, when your grandmother looked off in the corner, like, did her expression change? Did she register? She looked away from me, and I didn't, I don't know if I saw her face. Right. And this was, what, 30-some years ago anyway, so I can't answer that question. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just came to me that that's what she was seeing. I don't, I don't know why, because I certainly did not see a glow or images or anything. But I believe that my grandfather was there to greet her. Yeah. Wow. What a beautiful story. Now, it was other family members as well. Right. My father, um, his, he was in his late eighties when he passed and this was probably around 2012 or 2013. I forgot to look it up and he just, his body was just wearing out. He just, um, excuse me, could barely walk anymore. He couldn't see due to macular degeneration. Um, And he got to the point where we could not care for him at home. So he did go into a nursing home, Mm -hmm. which was real near where they lived. I I lived farther away at the time. And I came in a couple times a week as often as I could for my because I was so far away and I had a full-time job and 
there was a Sunday that, no, it was a Saturday, and my mom and I were over there, and they told me that um, they had spoken to the hospice program, and oh, oh, toward the end, he got shingles. He was in the nursing home, and he got shingles, and he was in the hospital with that for several days with heavy-duty pain medication, Mm. and we think that his body just, you know, just couldn't handle it anymore. Um, and he was back at the nursing home and he was due to go into hospice program the next day. Mm. And my mom and I were at the nursing home with him and I had um, been combing his hair cause he really liked when we combed his hair, when we were little, we would mess his hair up and then comb it out. And he just really enjoyed that. And I had fed him and he couldn't speak. He was actually beyond speaking. He couldn't get out of the wheelchair, but he was hugging us. He kept leaning forward to hug us. And then, you know, after lunch, we said, well, do you want to lay down and take a nap? And he he nodded. So he still knew what was going on. And we we couldn't lift him back into bed. So we were waiting for an aide to come lift him back into bed. And he was sitting in the wheelchair and he pretty much fell asleep. So my mom and I were reading our respective books and just sitting with him. And we had no idea anything was about to happen. It was just a regular day. And all of a sudden, his head had been slumped down and he raised his head up and he looked up in the corner of the room. And he'd been basically blind for many years. He had not been able to focus on looking at something for a long time. But this time he did. He was looking at something. And into my mind came the thought, his spirit is rising. Oh, wow. And I, there was no glow. There was no change in expression on his face. There was nothing that anybody else would have seen to make them think that. But into my mind came, his spirit is rising. And sure enough, just a few minutes later, his breathing slowed down and stopped. And he passed. We were right there with him. Yeah. So another really peaceful passing. And... That time I didn't have time to pray, but the grace had already been given. And I knew that he had somebody waiting, somebody or something waiting for him because he was looking at it. Yeah. And, And at this time, at that time, I didn't have any specific person in mind thinking of, you know, who he would be going to except for his parents and his some of his siblings oh my so that was that was a grace and a blessing because it was so peaceful right um and then just weeks later probably I would come home from work because I was I lived close enough to home to come home from work for lunch every day So I would come in, and this was in the olden days when we had um, answering machines. 
and the answering machine light would be on, but there would be nobody there. So I would erase the fake message and go back to work. And I'd come home in the evening and same thing. There would be the blinking light, but no message. Oh my gosh. And this went on for a long, long time, maybe a couple of weeks. And I don't think it was every day, but it was pretty frequent. And, um, finally I realized, or I, I remember that I'd heard that sometimes spirit spirits can manipulate electronics so out loud I said daddy if that's you trying to get in touch with me I got the message thank you never got another of those messages again oh my God. they stopped wow <laughs> yeah spirits can manipulate energy is probably one of the easier things that they can do because right manipulating physical matter takes a tremendous amount of of energy, but electronics, you know, that's something different. Yeah. Oh, that is it. Yeah. And one more thing with my dad. Hang on. Yeah. Probably around the same time period as the answering machine incident. Um, I had two different dreams. And in my dream, I was walking through a crowd of people. And I don't remember any details about it, except it was a big like convention center. And there were all these people, and I was just walking through the people. And all of a sudden, somebody in front of me turned around, and it was my dad. And he said, I love you. And boom, I was awake. It just threw me out of the dream, completely and utterly awake. And it was, I believe that it was a message from my dad two times. He wasn't given to saying that very often. Yeah. But I knew that he loved me, of course, but um, I got I got that really clear from him <laughs> in a dream. Well, that's the the other easy way that they can get messages to us is through dream visits, because, you know, our consciousness is out of the way. There's no resistance and they can easily slip in and uh, visit with us. Yeah. What a wonderful dream. Oh, my gosh, it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, and then there was a story, too, of your, uh, when you're hurt with my husband. Wow. Um, well, there's two stories, and the one that happened chronologically first is the one that you're mentioning. Um, April 30th of 2017, he'd been coughing He'd been helping a friend build a barn. He'd been camping, but he all the time he had this deep, deep cough. And so finally on April 30th, we went to the emergency room because he started coughing up blood. Well, the doctor didn't like the x-ray and said, you need to go to your primary care physician tomorrow. And... Um, did that, did that. So we found out he had um, lung cancer. Oh. Just all of a sudden, there was nothing else except a couple of weeks of coughing. He had lung cancer. Wow. The, so then he went in, I think on the following Monday, he went in the hospital for biopsy on some lymph nodes in his um, armpit. So by this time, we didn't really know the extent of it. 
nobody had really come to us and said, he's got this and he's got this long to live or anything like that. But they were doing the biopsy. So he was in the hospital surgery. And I went into the chapel, which was adjacent to the surgery. So I was very close by. And since nobody had really told us very much, I was scared. I was so scared. I was so upset. I was all alone because we we didn't want to tell our family until we knew what was going on. Of course. So we we hadn't basically told anybody anything yet. And so I was alone in this chapel while he was getting a biopsy, and I just started crying, sobbing, ugly crying. I was all hunched up. You know how your shoulders come up and you're sobbing and sobbing and crying. And I couldn't even think. I couldn't even pray. I was just crying, just saying over and over, I can't do this. I can't do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And into my mind came the words, strength will be given to you when it is needed. Wow. And I stopped crying. My shoulders came down. I relaxed. And I felt the grace fill me from that message because... That was not something I told myself. I was incoherent at that point. Yeah. And that that message came into my mind. Yeah. Where you hadn't even been thinking that at all. No. And your consciousness completely out of the way. That came from somebody, somewhere, my guardian angel. Mary, God, I don't know. But I tell you what, I pulled on that promise many, many times. I would be in the shower getting ready for the day and crying. And I thought, oh, I'm going to be given the strength. And it would calm me down. It would stop me crying. It would help me to go on. Wow. And to this day, you know, I know that I've got strength coming to me if I need it and if I ask for it. That's beautiful. Now, this voice just inside your head, did it sound male, female? Could you it, tell? I think it did sound male. And it was just that one sentence. There was there was nothing else following up. Yeah. But that's it just said everything. I didn't need anything more than that. Ooh. But just the the physical change in my body when I got that message was just intense and instant. Yeah, how did you register it in your body? <laughs> I just, well, like I said, I just, I relaxed. My shoulders came down. I stopped the ugly crying. Um, I stopped, my brain stopped twirling around because I had been just, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this, and just calm. 
just calm came over me. Wow. And other times when I, like at the time in the shower, when I called on the strength, I just felt kind of a wash down my body of tension and stress just flowing out because yeah. I, I called on that promise. Yeah, and that promise was given freely and it was going to be granted anytime you needed it. It sounds as Ab- it sounds like. Ab- absolutely. And I, like I say, I called on it. Um, getting through the next few weeks, um, he did pass July 8th. So it was like nine weeks. It's it was a very short time. He um, had one chemo treatment, even though it was pretty well useless by that point. Yeah. Um, his cancer was just found too late, really, for anything mm-hmm. to be done. Yeah. <clears throat> wow. You know, recently we had. Another caller who had three angels show up to her in the kitchen. And it was kind of a similar, a similar story where when she needed strength afterward, she knew that that strength was there. It yeah. Was given. Yeah. I didn't have any visual images. I just had that one very sure, very soothing voice that spoke to me. Yeah. Wow. And so I've got one more follow-up, if you want. Yeah, please. Um, this is still with my husband. Mm-hmm. And this was maybe a few weeks, maybe even a couple months after he passed. It wasn't very long. And I remember it was a Friday, and I know it was a Friday because it was payday. And I was thinking about what bills to pay. I wasn't worrying about money because I was okay with money. But I, you know, and that's what you do on payday, right? You think about, I'm going to buy this and go shopping and pay that bill and this bill. And while I was getting dressed, um, the cat knocked over some boxes in the living room. And these were all boxes that had come into the house since my husband had passed. It was all, I don't remember what was all in them. I got it back up. Sorry. Before I got to the punchline, I remembered to set it up, though. (laughs) Um, When he did pass, my sister-in-law went out to the nursing home where he was the last couple weeks to get all his stuff. So, by the way, if anybody, if somebody offers to help you with something take it take them up on it (laughs) so I asked my sister-in-law to go out and just pick up all his stuff and put it away so one of the things that he had at the nursing home was a little coin purse and it only had maybe 10 or 15 dollars no big deal but I couldn't find it when she came back with it so going forward again when the bot when the cat knocked the boxes over, these were not the boxes from the nursing home. They were not Ed's stuff. But when I went out to pick everything up, there was that coin purse sitting in the middle of the floor. I had been thinking about money and my husband, I believe my husband placed that there for me to find money. 
and showing that he was still watching over me, still trying to take care of me. And that just made me feel so loved. And that was such a beautiful thing to happen. That is a beautiful thing to happen. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, our loved ones just are only a thought away. And so your thoughts were going toward that. And he's like, oh, yeah, I can I can show you that. Yeah. How wonderful. Yeah. been just so comforting. Yes, it was. It was. Yeah. Well, those are amazing stories, Sally. And I really appreciate your care and time in telling them and just showing that love never dies that our loved ones are aware of us before they pass, after they pass, and they're yes. always around us. Yeah, these were beautiful. That's right. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad to get an opportunity to share some of those I've not shared with very many people at all. So, well, this is the place you. you yeah. Yes, I. I'm really um, a fan of your podcast so I'm glad to be part of it I really appreciate you being part of it a special thank you to James Wheeler for the original music and Cassandra Harold for the voiceovers please subscribe and follow wherever you're listening now And be sure to tell your friends. The more people know about this podcast, the more great story submissions we get. Submit your own real-life angel encounters to angelencounterspodcast at gmail.com. Want to know what your angels and loved ones have to tell you? Schedule an appointment with Christy at radiatewellnesscommunity.com. Life is hard, and sometimes you need a little help and guidance. I'm Laura West, host of a Guided Life podcast, and I believe that help is all around us. We just have to ask for it. The universe has a way of guiding us forward with the help of our past loved ones, angels, spirit guides, and ascended masters. On the podcast, I love to explore these ideas with incredible guests and let people know that they are never alone. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you can join me on this journey. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm network and wherever you get your podcasts.